I was out late last night. I have to admit, I was uh, with a friend and he uh, started a fire, which is a big thing here in Portland, you know. Okay, like a legal, like a legal fire. Yeah, yeah, fire okay. in the backyard, and then now came the vodka, and you know, it's hard to leave a fire at three in the morning. Yeah, that's understandable. See, I don't. That sounds like something in a beer commercial. I don't do anything like that, <laughs> uh, like bonfires and stuff. very interesting time to be transgendered in America. I'm sure it's always an interesting time to be transgender, but uh, these days it's particularly interesting because we live at a historical moment where acceptance of non-binary sexual orientation, sexual identity, uh, all these um, sort of analog uh, identity options are being accepted by mainstream society. Uh, just a couple of days ago, we had Caitlyn Jenner on the cover of Vanity Fair. Uh, very interesting and somewhat unimaginable. Uh, just what, a decade ago? Would that have been imaginable a decade ago? I I honestly don't know. Um Today's guest is a very interesting, articulate, funny, light-hearted uh, woman uh, named Bailey J. She's um, a transgender porn star, among other things. She came to my attention when I saw her interviewed by Amy Schumer on uh, Inside Amy Schumer. If you haven't seen that show, by the way, uh, highly recommended. My God, she's... Not only hilarious, um, but um, very intelligent and very much about um, examining and uh, poking fun at uh, cultural ignorance, for lack of a better word. Highly recommended. Anyway, she was, Bailey J was interviewed by um, Amy Schumer, and it was just a really nice, open, relaxed, conversation and uh and then i noticed that she was following me on twitter and i tweeted something about how much i enjoyed her her uh, appearance and she wrote back and then uh we decided to do a podcast so we don't know each other well uh we've got some mutual friends um and uh but i think we had a really good conversation and thanks to her much more than me she's very um comfortable with herself and and revealing and understands that people are going to be interested in in parts of her life that most people would consider off limits for conversation particularly with a stranger particularly in front of you know 50,000 or more strangers uh and she's uh, very sympathetic about that and and um courageous and i i don't think we got into this explicitly but someone like her or Caitlyn Jenner or uh other people who are who you know they know that a lot of the world considers them to be freaks in some sense for them to step up and say hey this is who i am people who can hear this i i want to give you some solidarity i want you to understand that you're not alone 
completely understanding that a lot of people are going to be dismissive and aggressive and um, potentially dangerous, that takes courage. That takes courage that uh, those of us who are cisgendered, quote, normal people can't imagine, I think. It's a, I'm not saying that cisgendered people can't be courageous, but this particular kind of courage, the courage to know that you are, your very presence is threatening for people to the point where they'll kill you. Some people will. Uh, and to stand up and say, you know what? Fuck it. This is who I am. Because there are other people like me out there who need to know that they're not alone. That That's a beautiful and a very admirable thing. Um, you know, and it, it's uh, it's something we we talked about in, at the very beginning. I talked about how I find uh, her to be attractive. She's very sexy in a way that, that resonates with me. And that's confusing for me. Um, you know, cards on the table here. I know other transgender people are wonderful people and and, uh, you know, I really enjoy their company, but there's no, I don't feel any sort of physical attraction. So it's very easy for me to just hang out and it, it, there's, there's no, I'm, I don't feel implicated in any way. Um, I've got a lot of really close friends who are gay. Never is a problem for me. Doesn't bother me even for a second. They could be talking about, you know, butt fucking orgies, and it's like whatever doesn't bother me at all uh, because it doesn't involve me. And um, so I was thinking about this with with Bailey. The fact that she's attractive to me did put me in a different position. And the the interview was done over Skype. It wasn't in person. That would have been even more interesting. Um, and then it got me thinking about homophobia. And how so often we we see these cases that just over and over and over, particularly, uh, you know, Republican politicians. The latest one is Denny Hastert, you know, who led the impeachment uh, proceedings against Bill Clinton. Turns out uh, he was sexually abusing boys when he was a wrestling coach. So he's he's a closeted homosexual. He's a, um, a fucking hypocrite of the highest order. And he's uh, politically homophobic. He's hardly alone in that, right? We could list hundreds, probably, of particularly Republican politicians who uh, fit that description. And anyway, the connection is this had me thinking about that because unless you feel personally implicated by someone else's homosexuality, there's no reason for you to give a damn. Right. So the people who do give a damn, the people who make a career out of bashing homosexuals or bashing, you know, whomever, it's because they feel something in them resonates with that. Something in them vibrates when they see that happening. I walk down the street. I see two guys or two women holding hands. I just I don't care if they're cool. I smile. If they're not cool, I don't even notice them. Whatever, whatever. If I get a feeling from them as people, I feel it. But them holding hands, I don't give a shit. I mean, that to me, that's no more uh, personally relevant than whether somebody's walking a dog or not, or holding a flower or or holding a baby. I don't care. It has nothing to do with me, right? But for a lot of people, it has a lot to do with them. And uh, so. 
I was thinking about that in terms of my feelings with Bailey. She's attractive, and therefore I feel a little weirded out about that. And that gave me some insight into why it is that it's it's always the homophobes who are freaking out, right? It's always I mean always this closet homosexuals who are homophobic. I think if you're not a closeted homosexual, you just you're fine. Everybody's people, everybody has rights. Who gives a damn? So next time you hear somebody freaking out about the homosexuals ruining America, you know, give them a squeeze on the ass and see what happens. One of the the greatest things about doing this podcast is when I get an idea and I mention it on the podcast and within days, uh, dozens of people are, are writing to me about this. Last week, I talked about this idea of doing a putting together a self-published book of uh, some of the like best of the tangentially speaking, some excerpts from the best conversations or the most interesting conversations. There's no way to really say best. Um, so we need to rethink that title. It's on, on the list of things to do. Anyway, I explained, uh, if you missed last week's episode, I said, uh, you know, maybe it would be a fun thing to do with uh, someone who listens to the podcast. Maybe a couple of people listen to the podcast. You know, we can w- break up the work, whatever. There's not, mo- there's no money in it, really. You know, I don't imagine we're going to sell tens of thousands of copies of this. And uh, and even if we do, I'd like to make it, I'd like to price it so that it's it's a relatively uh, affordable so people can give it as gifts and whatever. And basically the idea is to share some of these really interesting conversations that we've had uh, with people who don't have time or interest in listening to podcasts. Uh, I've probably gotten 30 emails by now from from people, really wonderful people, interesting people who have a lot going on, really interesting, some super qualified, some who are, you know, working full-time jobs, want to do it uh, at nights and weekends and just because they feel like it. Not no, As I said, there's not really much money in it, if any. Uh, it's a thankless kind of thing, but um, people are... People are cool. A lot of you people listening to this are wonderful people. And and when I have an experience like this, it reminds me uh, of of how lucky I am to have your attention and and to just to have this relationship with so many wonderful people. Um, somewhat related to that, I think I fractured my finger on uh, last week playing basketball. And uh, so I'm not doing much emailing because I'm trying typing and it hurts like hell and I've got it taped up and splints and stuff. So I'm trying to keep the typing to a minimum, but I'm under a deadline for the book. So whatever typing I do is for the book. So um, I, in other words, this is a roundabout way of saying I haven't answered the people who've sent me these wonderful emails. So if you're one of them, please sit tight. I got your email. I'm saving it. And uh, people listen to the podcast. You know, they I, everybody hasn't heard it yet, so I'm going to wait until uh, the emails stop coming in, and then I'll um, get back to, to everybody in one way or another, and hopefully by then my finger will be back uh, where it needs to be. This episode with Bailey is the sound quality is a little weird on my end because I was using a new computer. I sold the the Mac Mini I was using, and now I've plugged my monitor and everything into my laptop. I decided I don't really need two computers. Um, but then the, what happened was I was recording this thing, and I've got my headphones plugged into the mic, so everything sounds perfect to me, but it turns out the mic in the laptop was doing the recording, not the mic I was talking into. I didn't realize that until the whole thing was finished, and I, I listened 
to a little bit of it and it's like what the fuck sounds like i'm in a box somewhere she sounds great um but i sound far away uh, a little bit so i hope you'll roll with that and not find it too annoying you can also hear my chair creaking and the various background noise in the office which normally you don't hear because i'm talking into a microphone that's right in front of my face got a spit guard between me and the mic though so you don't have to worry about that uh, okay, I think that's it. I've covered the mic, my finger, the response to the book. I have a little list of things to cover here. As always, I want to thank Danny Osmond for the uh, sound engineering of the podcast. He made this one sound a lot better than it did when I sent it off to him, that's for sure. Danny also runs fundwhatyoulove.com, uh, which is a place where you can help finance the podcast if you want to support it financially and, and you're able to. That's the place to do it. Um, you can drop a buck, five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever, and it'll charge your card monthly. Um, if I ever stop doing the podcast, I will shut down that account right away. So nobody needs to worry about getting charged for something that isn't happening, of course. And, um, uh, that's fundwhatyoulove.com. Danny has other stuff going on there as well. So if you've got your own project and uh, you think that might be a good way to, to finance it, uh, you can set up a project on the site yourself. It's a lot like patreon.com, but um, he takes a much smaller cut uh, to keep the site running, and he's really doing it out of the goodness of his heart. It's not so much a business for him as it is a way to to do something that's a meaningful and uh, important. So check out fundwhatyoulove.com where you can uh, support tangentially speaking and lots of other stuff or maybe set up your own situation. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Shore Design T-shirts. Shoredesigntshirts.com. You can, they make all the T-shirts that are available at chrisryan.com. We're still sending out lots of Civilized to death shirts. They're going everywhere. A few of them went to Europe this week. I know mom keeps track of it, but uh, I saw a few orders going to Sweden and Scotland and fuck, I don't know where. So there are people all over the world wearing civilized to death t-shirts well before the book is available, I must say. I'm chugging along on that, by the way. Uh, it's funny how, you know, you think writing is a very interesting experience because you know, you think you know what you want to say. I'm sure any teacher would say the same thing. You think you know exactly what's going on, and then you try to teach it, and you realize there are lots of empty spaces or un not, not considered contradictions or conflicts, things that don't fit together that you don't ever notice until you really get into the nitty-gritty in a way that only teaching or writing uh, can can take you to that place. It's it's interesting how it, it sort of makes makes you think about the blind spots you've got in other parts of your life. Because man, you know, I'm writing about prehistory. I'm writing about the transition from prehistory to to agriculture, and I've been talking about this stuff for a long time. I've been reading about it for a long time. I've already published one book about this this uh, material. So it's certainly something I'm deeply familiar with. And yet, as I'm writing, I'll come to a paragraph where I'll say, wait a minute, that that contradicts what I just said 10 pages ago. How can that be true? And then I'll spend two days researching it to try to figure out whether I'm full of shit or whether these things fit together in, in a way that I hadn't anticipated. It's uh, 
It's interesting. I, I have, having written a book and working on a second one, I've got a lot of respect for people who write books. Even, even books I think are total bullshit. Um, it, that's difficult bullshit. <laughs> it's hard. It's fucking hard. Anyway, uh, and it's even harder when you got a couple fractured fingers. Anyway, get yourself some Sure Design t-shirts at suredesigntshirts.com. If you put Sex at Dawn, uh, one word at the end, uh, you'll get 10% off your entire order. And you'll let the folks at Sure Design know that uh, you know they're getting some business uh, from us, which is always good to hear, I'm sure. Although, you know what? They don't really seem to care. They're, they're like the perfect sponsor. Kind of like my editor. It's like completely laid back about when I get this book done, which, uh, which actually sort of makes me want to make him proud. You know, it's, it's, uh, interesting psychological technique. All right. Last thing I want to say, I guess, is, um, another beautiful thing, getting back to the beginning where I said, it's an interesting time to be transgender and how things are changing so quickly and, and toward acceptance in a very good way. I saw a news article this week, um, I guess what happened was a kid came to his parents and said, you know, I was born a boy, but I'm a girl. There may have been the opposite. I don't remember which direction the change was. And the kid's 11, 12, something like that. And the parents published um, a correction in the local paper where they said, 11 years ago, we announced the birth of our son, whatever his name was. And um, we just want to uh, correct that uh, in light of uh, recent uh, revelations. Uh, actually, that was the birth of our daughter, blah, 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 whatever her name is. Completely cool. We love we love the kid. We love him just to, her just as much, blah, blah, whatever it is. The point is the parents just rolled with it. Just rolled with it, made it cool, no big deal. And the fact is that this this reminds me of the debate about traditional marriage, so-called traditional marriage. The conservative argument is that marriage has always been between a man and a woman, one man, one woman, always been about protecting the children, yada, yada, yada. Anyone who's read Sex at Dawn knows that I think that's complete bullshit. There's a section in there called, uh, you know, making a mess of marriage, mating, and monogamy or something like that, and playing with the alliteration as always. Um, marriage, whatever, we're, whatever we mean by that word, has meant many different things in many different cultures, and it has not always been between one man and one woman. It has often been between two biological men or two biological women or groups or whatever. Um, you can read the book to get all the details in that. But my point is that the assumption, uh, you know, what's what was the great line from uh, 1984, I think? He who controls the past controls the present and also the future, right? Because if you control the past, then you can claim uh, a certain sort of normalcy. You can say, well, it's always been this way. And the fact that it hasn't always been that way gets airbrushed out of the picture. 
You know, we've got Supreme Court justices who are so fucking misinformed that they're, they're saying traditional marriage has always been X, Y, Z. It has not always been anything you want to name other than an agreement between people. That's probably as specific as you can get. Hasn't always involved childcare, hasn't always involved property, hasn't always in, involved an assumption of sexual exclusivity, hasn't always involved rituals, hasn't always involved family uh, integration. I, I don't know what else you can say it has always involved. Similarly, if anyone tells you that people born with a penis have always been men, and people born with a vagina have always been women. Well, tell them for me that they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Because any anthropologist will tell you that that's not true. Anyone who has a, an understanding of the various cultures that have existed around the world or that continue to exist around the world will tell you that it's much more complicated than that. There are many uh, pre-agricultural societies in which, and also agricultural societies, I should add, in which someone can choose an identity that doesn't align with their body. And by choose, I simply mean acknowledge. Uh, many North American Indian societies, for example, had um, people who had the, the physiology of a man and chose or, or, or acknowledged that they were, in fact, a woman. And it was accepted, normal. That person could live life as a woman, dress as a woman, could marry a man and, and be that man's wife. And the man who married her wasn't considered to be strange or, or gay or freaky in any way. These things are far more common than uh, the, these sorts of the sort of flexibility of, of sexual identity, gender identity is far more common than the conservative uh, right wing kind of Fox News idiots would have you believe. But they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They just think that what they consider to be normal is normal and always has been normal. And that, my friends, is the very essence of ignorance and bigotry. So. It's wonderful to see America moving in this direction, American culture or parts of it moving in this direction. But don't get the idea that it's any sort of cutting edge 21st century uh, innovation. It's not. As in so many other parts of uh, you know what we would consider to be progressive society, what we're finding is that those elements of society that we find to be the most progressive, the most cutting edge, the most open-minded are really only returning to something that existed uh, in many societies around the world before civilization and Christianity came in and ruthlessly stomped them out. So back to the Pleistocene, motherfuckers. That's what I say. I'll see you there. I'm going to play you out with uh, a cliched, cliched music choice. I know. Walk on the Wild Side originally by Lou Reed, of course. Uh, but I'm going to play a couple of versions you probably haven't heard. The first is by Albert Pla, who I think is Catalan, maybe Spanish, but I think Catalan. Uh, and the second version is by a band called Tok Tok Tok, T-O-K, T-O-K, T-O-K. Uh, I like the first because it's a more or less accurate uh, translation of the lyrics 
which by the way is a song I used to love to use in my English classes when I was teaching English to businessmen in Barcelona because they all knew the song but had no idea that it was about um, transsexual prostitution, which was um, a wonderful thing to see them realize in the boardroom at Nissan, <laughs> among other places. And uh, and it's it's just cool to hear it in Spanish and hear the way they translated it. It's not word for word at all. It's just sort of trying to get the story across. Those of you who speak Spanish will get a kick out of it, I think. And the the reason I like the talk 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 version is if you listen to the the background. It's all, um, uh, I think it's called beatboxing, where you, you know you do that shit with your mouth. Uh, very, very nicely done. In fact, uh, there's a, a nice little solo that I'll be sure to get in there for you. So we'll start off with the Albert Pla version, and then I'll slide right into the Talk, Talk, Talk version. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Y elegantes y así sobrevive Por el lado más salvaje de la vida Sí, Natalia Por el lado más bestia de la vida
I'm super stoked to talk to you, though. I'm like, I've, I've been a fan for a minute. <laughs> a New York minute? And, well, I mean, like a while. Like, I've been, I've, been, I've been a fan for, I don't know, maybe a year? That's, uh, that's, what, from, of the book or the podcast or what? Of, of, of the book first. And then just like I was following, I'm still following you on Twitter, but just like following you on Twitter and your tweets. And uh, I, I think Connor Habib had retweeted you. And that, that's what I was uh, like. And that's how I found out about you before I even knew about the book. And then obviously I bought the book. I don't know if you've heard the podcast, but it's completely casual, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I, heard, I heard your episode with, um, I always forget her name, but I love her so much. She wrote Smoke Gets in Your Eye. Oh, Caitlin Doty. Yeah, I've got like a super lesbian crush on her. So she's, I, I really like her. I think she's like so cool. Just her delivery. She is not insane. I like yeah. her. Yeah, she's wonderful. I, she's been on twice, I think. Um, okay. Yeah. I, whichever one was like two hours long. I mean, you two like really got along and she was so, so cute. I thought it was like a really good episode. One was just when she was about to publish the book. So that was recent. And then the other was okay. like a year or two ago. Okay. Yeah. Then it was, it must've been the more, it was, yeah, it had to have been the more recent one. Cause I just listened to it on my iPhone. But, um, yeah, so I, so now I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I forgot to add that on. I'm a, I like the podcast a lot. Oh, cool. All right. Are you ready? Ready to roll? Yep. Whenever you are. Okay, great. I, I do the intro separately, so we don't have to go through all that. You don't have to sit there and listen. Okay. You know who you are. I do. So who are you? Let, let's start with that. Who are you? And, and you know, I want to just like right from the get-go, I want to like you tell me what words and pronouns to use and all that because I don't want to step in anything here. Okay. okay. Right. Are, we, are we already started? Did we yeah, start? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Okay. <laughs> um, I want to start by saying I get yelled at about <laughs> using the right pronouns and I, I'm I kind of joke that I'm screwing it up as much as all the other like all non-trans people are, um, but I used she, her, she, her like the candy bar, her she. Uh, I use both of those, and that's uh, that's cool. Transgender, transsexual. I see. I, I don't get bent out of shape about that stuff, but for the sake of the community, uh, those are the safe ones. So you are a bit of an outlier in that community, then, because I. My impression is that those things are extremely important to a lot of people in that community. Well, and they and and I I get why they are extremely important because it you know it, it's kind of like validating identity. But I'm I'm kind of like woo woo and out there, and 
I think identity is really toxic and it's the major reason why the internet is so horrendous to be on. So I'm, I don't really, I don't know. I don't really buy into that whole thing, but I I definitely have respect for them and their identity and I wouldn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm just kind of like, I just don't get mad at people about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is something, I don't know what the word is, uh, contradictory in the sense that it seems that a lot of what bonds the LGBTQ community together, if we can even really call it a community, is um, their respect for people sort of choosing their own identities and deciding who they are, and the, you know, as opposed to a culture stamping some sort of label on them. Well, yeah, that, that's one thing I've really heard a lot, actually, is that people say you know, trans people are saying gender roles are so not important, but then they're such sticklers about, yeah, you know, okay. and I, and I definitely pick up on that and, and see that I, I, you know, I, like I said, identity in general is like, I mean, people who think they are their opinions or they think they are, they, you know, it's, they, a lot of times they can get really angry because they're, it's so fragile. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't, I try not to buy into that. I get, I totally get sucked into it. I'm trying to get off Twitter currently. Oh, really? I mean, you're very good at Twitter. Am I? Am I good at Twitter? Yeah, I try. Yeah, yeah. Your your stuff is always sort of uh, up upbeat and amusing and happy feeling to me. I don't oh, know. someone yesterday just said it, it is a bummer. Like, oh, so really? I, it's, I think everybody. <laughs> I must have missed kind of, those. Everyone reads it differently. Well, cause, well, I'm not like I'm not like a drama Twitter person. I'm I'm not that person. Yeah, but. But sometimes I'm like done with humans because because I'm on Twitter too much. And I think that is what humans are like. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I've been called a misanthropologist. Uh, That's really good. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of because I'm I'm very interested in people, but I I think we're essentially fucked. So it's it's sort of a dismal science that I practice. I totally relate to that because I like with the internet makes me not like people more because then I meet people in person and I'm like, oh, wait, you're not just like super vague politics and like really annoying and, and angry and toxic. Like you're a normal person, but that same person could be terrible on Twitter. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm developing a, a theory of uh, how people become part of something larger than themselves. And and we search for meaning in that, you know, like everyone always says, I want to be part of something bigger than me or whatever. The problem is when you become something, part of something bigger than you, then you, you surrender autonomy and control. And that allows you to do all sorts of horrible things. Completely. So whether we're talking about Twitter or, you know, you've joined the army, Hey, it's Memorial day. Happy Memorial day. Is it Memorial Day? Tomorrow is, I guess. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. a bad American. I'm not. Yeah, I'm a bad American, too. I was just writing <laughs> about this yesterday. Like, to me, you know, when when someone says, like, you know, the, the soldiers are, did it for you, I feel like Jodie Foster must have felt when that guy shot Reagan, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's for you, jo- Jodie Foster. Like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, my my first thought was uh, the omen when the 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 woman's like it's all for you, Damien, and then she jumps off the building. Like, that's, that was <laughs> yeah. my first mental image. Say yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's really disturbing. Yeah. yeah, I um, yeah, I relate to that. So you're a bad American too. Okay, that's I'm that's... A, I'm bad at being a transsexual. I'm bad at being an American. Oh. I'm really I'm not great. <laughs> 
<laughs> and yet you're highly successful somehow. How did that happen? I was just reading about you on Wikipedia. You've won all these awards and you've uh, now you're like taking control of your career. You're only shooting stuff for your own website. That's all very exciting. Yeah, I porn is my security blanket because people don't expect a lot from you when they hear you're a sex worker because the world is fucked up. And uh, so it's my security blanket because I'm a perfectionist who's incredibly hard on myself and super neurotic. And then when I go like, oh, that's right, I'm a porn star. Like I get a little bit of like people are just impressed when I can put a sentence together. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, okay, it's cards on the table here. I, I've known, um, I don't know how many, like, uh, quite a few trans people. And, but you're, when I saw you on Amy Schumer, uh-huh. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. Freaked you out how, in a good way? Well, I guess, I guess in a good way. I mean, because you're the you're my type, right? You like you so like vague, it, vaguely ethnic girls with breast implants. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to, based on past experience. That seems to be the way it works. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's never been confusing for me before because I uh, none of the the trans people that I knew, trans women that I knew were I found attractive. So it was always just easy to not have that uh engagement, you know. Right. Oh, right. Okay, I get that. Like I mean, you you saw them as people, but you just they didn't you didn't have a boner for them. Right. Right. So it didn't there was no sort of biological confusion. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of a biological doorstop a little bit. Like I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm kind of like because that that was actually when I first met my husband that was he was so fascinated because he's just like I think the world is getting overpopulated and nature is making more people like you <laughs> and you know because there's no one's getting a baby out of me right but um but yeah so it it I get that a lot it it'll it'll wreck your head as RuPaul says is your husband a an evolutionary thinker in general or is that he just went for that in this case. That was just, that, that he's just a thinker in general. He thinks a lot. And, uh, and, and so that was one thing he found really fascinating. This is a person who does not want children at all. So yeah. he uh, met me and, uh, and <laughs> like, like, yeah, he had a, he had a girlfriend when we met. <laughs> and, and also no, no menopause, no monthly uh, cycles or, or do you experience that? Um, well, I mean, I am on estrogen, so there are times where, uh, that's not great. But I mean, you know, because estrogen, so I actually, I, I got off estrogen and actually kind of went through menopause. It was horrible. Um, I don't like the way estrogen makes me feel emotionally. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'm off estrogen. And, uh, and I got like hot flashes and I was nauseous and I was moody and I was upset. And this was like a whole six month thing. It was terrible. But uh, no period. That's great. Yeah. Um. So, and also I don't, I'm, this is what I mean when I say I'm a bad transsexual. I don't block my testosterone typically, which is what you should do as a transsexual. Um, I enjoy having testosterone. I feel like I have more energy. I'm really horny. My, my genitals look they're you know, on their A game. And so I, I like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm a bad transsexual because I love testosterone. <laughs> so it feels like you're sort of picking and choosing the best of both sides here well yeah like i really like having boobs i really like moving through the world as a woman because on some level i i feel like i am a you know a feminine energy um i sucked at being a boy so it it was like 
yeah, but I like, but I do like, I like my genitals. I don't really have any plans to get uh, gender reassignment surgery or anything like that. Right. And does the estrogen, well, I'm sure the lack of testosterone is an issue. Does the estrogen mm-hmm. block testosterone? See, I've heard so many endocrinologists say different things. It's such a, it's, they, they never say the same thing. You know, every mm. single one says something different. I've heard some people say that when the estrogen is high enough, it can start to keep testosterone down on its own. Right. But I'm on such a low dose of estrogen. I'm, I have, I have easily have way more testosterone than I do estrogen. I just um, lucked out on the genetic scale, I think. So I, I kind of get away with not block. Like I didn't get facial hair. I, I, I'm like a weird case. I don't right. really know. I, I've never had a doctor be able to explain to me why I never virilized with the other kids. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I was like stuck being a child at 16. I looked 11. You know what I mean? So it was like, I I was a weird, I'm a weird case. So one, one day a doctor will tell me what I am. (laughs) (laughs) And he or she'll be wrong probably. Right. (laughs) What, uh, what is your ethnic background? Um, I'm a weird mix. I, I've always just said I was Spanish because I was raised by my Spanish grandmother. Um, but, I, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a weird mix. I'm, I did a, one of those DNA mouth swabs and I'm Irish, Swedish, Native American, Spanish, and Italian. Wow. In order of most to least. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I did those things and, uh, mine came back just, you know, boring white person. Um, Oh, really? Oh yeah. No surprise there, you know? But um, my wife's came back with a big surprise because we thought she was Indian and Persian. Um, and uh, hers came back with a big chunk of um, pygmy. Pygmy? <laughs> yeah. That, that's exotic. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. Big surprise, though. You know, that could be awkward. Her, her family's too old to really asked them about it. Her mother's, uh, you know, sort of not very uh, conscious, so she can't really ask her about it. And it would be a weird conversation in any case, because like somebody back there, somebody fucked a uh, pygmy, you know? Right. I mean, clearly (laughs) the, the, the native American in me is, is a little sketchy because it's, well, I've never had a native American in me personally, but, um, (laughs) the, the native American in me is, it's a little weird because I know that I'm a descendant of Spanish conquistadors Mm. and I know, and I know that I'm Ute tribe and I know the conquistadors came through like Colorado and New Mexico and all those areas. And, you know, Utah gets its name from the Ute Indians. And, um, so it was like, or, or Native Americans, I'm not politically correct, but, uh, so, so yeah, so it, I'm kind of like, oh God, like how did, how did the Native American blood get in there? Like it just, it's kind of sketchy. Uh, Juan de Yulaberry is like, I'm like a descendant of him. He's like this big, well, like this big fan. There's like a statue of him in New Mexico. I don't know. Huh. Wanda? Juan. Oh, Juan. Oh. Yeah. Like Juan de (laughs) Wanda. A dude named Wanda. Like, wow. A dude named Wanda. (laughs) And then he made, you know, and then I'm, yeah. Yeah. That could explain a lot of things. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So you are exotic. You are more than vaguely exotic. And you said you were raised by your Spanish grandmother. Did you speak Spanish as a kid? No, she's, she's Spanish. Like she's, she's full Spanish, but she was raised in America and 
in her, I think in her mind, she's like Bill O'Reilly. Like she's a white man in her mind. <laughs> she's very Republican. She's like a tea partier. Oh no. Yeah, she loves me. I'm like I'm like her favorite though. So like all her tolerance went into one bucket. Exactly. Oh my god. Like I'm like the exception to every horrible thing she has to say about things. Like really? I'm. She's like except for you. That's amazing. That must make for some interesting conversations. It doesn't because I just agree with everything she says. I'm a super people pleaser, and uh, I I just bend to I'm I'm my personality is whoever I'm talking to. That that's fascinating. If you, that you're you're that fluid and accommodating on mm-hmm. you know a daily level, and yet you know your entire life is sort of standing up and saying no, I'm not what you think I am or want me to be. I'm something completely different. See, that's that was imp- almost impossible to do. Like I, when I finally told, you know, told her, I'm like, I'm transgender. She, her, she's very politically incorrect. So she's just like, oh, well, at least your voice will make sense now. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Like that was, <laughs> you know, she's like, you'll be less of an eyesore, basically, because you'll just be a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How How old were you when you made that decision? Um, I, I mean, I, I knew forever, but I, I didn't actually start the transition until I was 17 or had just turned 18 maybe. And, uh, my grandmother actually started, you know, got me, uh, in touch with the hormone clinic. Really? And that was yes, in some, Virginia? In Virginia. Yeah. She's like, Oh, some gay guy at my office says that this place is hormones. And I was like, Oh, and then she like, how would help me pay for it when I was young and didn't have any money. Wow. Yeah. Good on grandma. Yeah, I think she was motivated because she wanted me to assimilate better. You know what I mean? She was yeah. like, I think she would rather me be a girl than a than a gay guy. So, mm. so maybe her motivations weren't great, but she was there for me, and that I'm super grateful for that. Yeah, what I, I'm always curious, like when you're a teenager, teen, being a teenager is so fucking confusing for anyone. I mean, yeah. you know, here I I was like perfectly, you know, cisgender out the wazoo, and I was confused about what I was becoming, and you know, the whole process. I, I can't imagine how confusing it is when, you know, you're looking at the options on the table, and you're saying, yeah, not none of those really. I mean, did you? Was there a time when you felt that you were gay, or like what? How do you arrive at an identity? I definitely thought I was gay, and I thought me because I grew up in the South and all media was really ignorant about what gay was. I thought wanting to be a girl was gay. Yeah. Like, yeah. you you know, like when, you know, I thought I'm like, am I a drag queen? Like, what am I? So I just like, didn't, I didn't really get it. And I had no trans people to look up to. I mean, I, my role models were RuPaul and <clears throat> Bugs Bunny when he would wear a dress. You know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> very minimal, minimal role models. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a real compliment to RuPaul. I mean, esteemed company there. Yeah, RuPaul right. and Bugs Bunny. Have you ever met RuPaul? I've never met RuPaul, but I have a million friends in common uh, with him. So it's, uh, yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's like a, a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. Some a friend of mine just sent me an email asking if I'd like to have him on the podcast. Oh, that would be amazing. Because she knows it. Well. Yeah, although I, I, you know, sometimes I feel, and I felt this with you too, sometimes I feel like, you know, I get an opportunity to have somebody very interesting on the podcast, but I also feel bad because like, I, I don't know much about this person, you know, like I, right. I only know you because we started tweeting at each other and you said mm-hmm. you were a fan and like, oh, great. Okay. But, you know, I, I 
I didn't re- really know about you until what three weeks ago or something, you know? Right, right. So I feel uh, sort of unjustified, you know, like I come into this all ignorant and, and, you know, I wish I could say, oh, I've seen all your movies or something. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always a good conversation starter. I've watched you jack off on the Internet. <laughs> yeah, I was I was actually in a porn movie recently. Were you? Yeah, yeah. With uh, with my wife, we had uh, cameos in a movie called Marriage 2.0. That's awesome. It just was it like a walk on where you like drinking water or like how did um, No, it, it was it, it's a, it's an interesting film. It's like an independent film that includes hardcore sex. So it's Okay. sort of a crossover trying to, you know, be in between you know, real cinema and and porn. It stars Anina Hartley, India Summers, Okay. Um, Ryan Driller, I think his name is. <laughs> it would be, wouldn't it? You're right. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, oh, what's the other, the, uh, oh, there's a, a black guy who's got a funny porn name too, who's in it. Uh, I don't remember his name. Anyway, marriage 2.0 that people can, can check it out online. And the idea is that, um, it's a, a couple, a young couple who are trying to open up their relationship and they're going through all the typical challenges with, um, jealousy and, you know, figuring out what the rules are that they can live with and, and uh, the woman, as part of uh, her exploration, she's a documentary filmmaker, and so she decides to make a film about relationships and the you know current thinking on the topic. So she has us on in her film within the film. Right? That's she great. Interviews me, yeah. And then she and I have a, a moment in the kitchen because she's sort of freaking out a little bit, and I give her some you know wise advice. I'm not, I don't get to fuck anybody, but no oh, boo. Yeah, I know. It was tragic. Tragic. Yeah. Nina Hartley is a babe. Like I, I love Nina Hartley. Yeah. Yeah. She's wonderful. She's uh, yeah. I did a podcast with her. One of the early ones when I first started doing this and uh, I was really nervous about it. And I went to her house and set up the, the mics and everything. And I, you know, turn, pressed record and said, so I'm here with Nina Hartley and she just started talking and two hours later I turned it off and it was like she ran the whole interview. She's Wow. Like, she she knew exactly what she wanted to say and she just said it. It was great. That's awesome. That's yeah. cool. It's like a self driving car, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she's high energy. I don't know where she gets all the energy. She's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so what the hell were we talking about? Uh this this is why it's called tangentially speaking. I get lost <laughs> and wander all over the place. Oh, we're talking about your sort of transition and in, in being a teenager and all that. Right, right. Yeah. So I yeah. So I clearly I thought I was gay at first. So that was like the only option. I didn't know being trans was a thing. And then I started seeing things about trans people on TV, like these documentaries that you know. And I was horrified when I pieced it together, like. Because I knew I was a girl since I was like four. Like there was this thing of like I went up to my mom when I was four and I was like, I am, I'm mad at God. And she's like – and if, when a four-year-old tells you they're mad at God, you're like – look at them like they're a crazy person. And then uh, I was like, he, he made me a boy instead of a girl. Like God made a mistake. And I, you know, the best way a four-year-old could try to explain what the hell was happening. Yeah. And then – so my mom signed me up for T-ball for five years. And that sucked. And then – um. But yeah, so so I saw a documentary on on trans people, and my grandmother was. I saw it with my grandmother, and she 
said, you know, about these women, I was expecting her to just shit all over them and for me to feel terrible about myself. But she looked at me and she was like, these, like, these are women. I don't care what anybody says. Like once, you know, when, and, and that was so out of character for her. And then I went to my room and was mortified because I didn't think the women looked that good. So I was like, oh no, I have to grow up to look like that. And I have to grow up to be super weird and a social pariah and to be made fun of. And this is going to suck. You know, and then I, I try to talk to my sister about it and she's like, yeah, you, you know, you'll know that no man will ever love you. It'll just be a man that has a fetish for you. I mean, just these really horrible thoughts started surrounding it. But then I just started transitioning, which for me was putting on eyeliner and not correcting people when they called me ma'am. And that was, it was like a really easy transition. It, it was um, definitely not a universal trans experience. Not that there really is one, but um, yeah, it definitely, it, it was... It happened relatively fluid. Like it was, it was an easy transition. And you were in high school at the time. I um I dropped out in ninth grade. Oh okay. So um, because yeah, that would have been horrible. Yeah, especially in the South, it it, yeah. it would have sucked. Um, but I I I went to GED school, which wasn't any better. But I started GED school as a girl because because I dropped out underage, which you have to t- go to a program like twice a week to do that in Virginia. So I, I was at a, um, a really, I'm, I'm from like a poor area and like I was super poor. So it wasn't a great GED school. wasn't great, but, um, everyone was very nice to me cause they didn't know anything. Mm. Well, you know, your grandmother, that, that moment when she looks at you and says, I don't care what anyone says, those are women. That's mm-hmm. a beautiful moment. Yeah. I, I mean, very much so. My, uh, a friend of mine tweeted about that recently with the Bruce Jenner thing. Um, and, and he's, gay and and talks about growing up being gay and he says like when a gay person's on tv a gay child is not looking at the tv they're looking at their family looking at the tv yeah and that's like so true because my grandmother saying that those were women like it really she it's so out of character for her so it was it was freeing it was like oh maybe i can tell this lady what's up yeah yeah it's it's amazing how as adults you know i think we forget this but with kids like there can be one second, one sentence you say that just explodes a kid's life either positively or negatively, you know, like yeah, just, I mean, I can remember five or six things like that where someone said something to me that they weren't even conscious they were saying and it, it opened up a whole world that I still, you know, I, I still see that. It, it marked that transition somehow. I yeah. completely well, that's that's a beautiful thing that she that she did. She sound you know some some right wing assholes are actually uh, really good people because they just don't give a fuck. You know, well, I I completely agree, and it comes back to what you said earlier about group thinking. Like people, when you assimilate, people are trying to make themselves smarter than they are, and people are trying to make themselves dumber than they are. Like it's just when you assimilate, you you really are kind of screwing yourself. Because when my grandmother talks politics she loses all empathy and she's a, actually a very empathetic person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe she's just tired. Yeah. It's hard to, to be different for how old is she? She is probably 74, but you would never know it in a million years. Really? Yeah. She looks great. She's just full of energy. And you said you have uh, you have a sister. Do you have any other siblings? Nope. Just me and my sister. And how, how do you, how's your relationship with her? Um, it, it's been strained before. It's funny. Cause I, I did a show and I was like, oh yeah, my sister and I don't speak. And they were like, oh, 
you poor thing, because you're transgender. And I'm like, uh, no, because she's got issues. Right. <laughs> like, I wasn't talking to her. It wasn't she wasn't talking to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, we, we get along well now. She had a baby and that like brought us together. Um, but, you know, we, we don't have we don't talk to our parents. So, it, we, you know, so we kind of have to have each other. Yeah. We, our, my grandmother raised us. Oh, right. Right. Have you ever read a book called Conundrum by Jan Morris? No. Do you know who Jan Morris is? I know the name. She she's a fascinating person. She was um, one of the first uh, people who went through um, what's it called, sex re- reassignment or gender reassignment surgery. Okay. Like way back in the early seventies, I think. And okay. But she's very interesting because she uh, was sort of like a super macho dude. She was. A journal, first of all, she was in this elite division of the British military okay. and fought in all these battles, I think in World War II, or maybe it was in the Middle East at the end of World War II. And then she became a journal. He, at that point, James Morris, became a journalist and was an elite journalist. In fact, he was at Mount Everest base camp when Sir Edmund Hillary got to the top of the mountain and he was the first journalist to report that. Sir Edmund Hillary had climbed Mount Everest, right? Wow. From base camp. And, but always, uh, he always knew that he was, you know, he, his, just her description is similar to yours. And like, she recounts knowing as a child, like I'm in the wrong body here. Something got mixed up. And there was, I remember there's a scene where the child's under a piano and someone's playing the piano and the child's under the piano. And for some reason at that moment, it became crystal clear, like, Oh, I'm a girl. I'm a girl. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's a beautiful book. And after the, the reassignment surgery, she stayed married to the person she was married to and they had children and uh, is really quite beautiful. Her description of how that relationship changed to accommodate this massive shift, you know, that's a, that's a story I hear a lot. I mean, I know a lot of, you know, I know a lot of stories of trans women that, and and the women are very understanding and they they actually become closer because now the secret isn't there Yeah, and you know, and some women can't hack it, which I don't vilify them for at all. Some women are like, I'm not, sticking around for this you know i don't vilify them for that i mean it's personal decisions yeah yeah well anyway after all this then she became uh the world's best known travel writer okay and and she's she's the slews of books i don't know if she's still alive she's quite old um but uh many hundreds of stories and essays and collections of essays about uh cities all over the world it just always struck me as interesting how this person who became famous as a travel writer had traveled so far within herself, you know, and totally having seen the world from those two perspectives. Do you, do you think about that? Do you have, I mean, it sounds like you transitioned obviously much earlier than, than she did. So she went through half her life as a man. Right. And it seems, sounds like you sort of have always been going through life as a woman. And, and and that's why it's so different for every trans person. Like I think our, the, the community tries to move. They try they try to be like this monolith. Like they or they they're always trying to move as this like one. You know the ants that like link up and make right. a raft on the water. Yeah, and that's we're just we're <laughs> all yeah right. We're all so different though. And some of us lived lives as as men for a long time, and you know pre transition or you know moving through the world as men. 
And for and and so people always say like, well, you have to be aware of the male privilege that you've had the majority of your life and this, this and this. And I want to tell them like, I went from being called a faggot to being cat called by a construction worker. I'm like, it was a pretty lateral move for me. Um, I actually see the way people talk to children and the way people talk to women aren't that different. That's one thing I've learned in my life mm. is I'm like, wow, people, it's not, people explain things to me. I, I shouldn't say as a woman in general, let's say a five foot five woman with breast implants who's 26. People explain things to me incorrectly very often. And I, and I just have to like nod and be like, yeah, much like when I was a child. Mm. So that's definitely, but I, I never had the chance to be a man. I would have had to be on testosterone or something, yeah. I think. Um, so I went from being an effeminate child to, to be, you know, to being a chick, basically. <laughs> that's interesting. So, I mean, I, I never know how, how personal to get in these sorts of conversations. Cause I mean, you know, most of this is none of my fucking business, right? Well, but, it's an, it's an, it's an interview though. I'm mean, yeah. comfortable. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in Thailand Oh, okay. And I get it. I get the connection already. <laughs> and my wife and I were there last time and we were hanging out in this bar and is uh, I think it's Nana Plaza is the name of the place. It's a sort of famous place, you know, with sex workers and everything. Okay. And we were just watching the people coming and going through this alley. And, you know, we were sort of trying to guess who who's a woman and who's not here. I mean, yeah, it, it was like an episode of Maury. It sounds like. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty. Should have had a microphone. Could have made an interesting <laughs> podcast. But what Casilda said was like, okay, that there's no way that's a woman. Uh, you know, and using the term woman, obviously, you know, loosely here, where right. Um, but there's no way that's a woman because she's too beautiful. A real woman would never be that beautiful. You know, so for her, that was the giveaway that like this person is so feminine and everything is so perfectly done that it's got to be artificial. I think there's a lot of validity to that. I mean, I know cis women, you know, that's kind of a a buzzword. I I know, you know, non-trans women who are a little taller, but they're like fabulous. Like they have amazing hair and breast implants and, and they, people try to clock them like, Oh, you're a trans woman. And then, and they're not. So I, I get what you're, I get what you're, (laughs) what you're saying. It's, it's almost like it's too good to be true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's too good. So then we're, so then we're like, okay, there are all these guys walking in with these women. So do these guys know? They always know. Do they always know? Really? There's a there's a myth going around that trans women go around trying to trick men. Yeah. Which is <laughs> and, a good way uh, to get beat up, I would imagine. Well, yeah, no trans woman's going to sign her death warrant like that. Yeah. I just I mean, I'm not saying it never happens. I'm saying it's not a dominant narrative. Um the, what what's a guy going to say when he gets caught with a prostitute who happens to be trans? I had no idea. She sprung it on me. Of course they are. But it's they they typically always know and uh, my friend Jen, who's a social work, you know, social in the world of that world, yeah. she kind of says that uh, statistically, it's like the third or fourth time the person had been with that woman when something, you know, when something violent happens to the woman or their friend found out or something yeah. happened. And um, and the majority of the trans women who get brutalized and murdered are trans women of color. They're black and Hispanic trans women. 
And so, so what's going on? Is it that the the men are, are dealing with their own repressed homosexuality, and so it's sort of like halfway across the bridge? That's a common question. That's a, and in my experience, I, I think there are people who do that, but mostly it's in my in my personal experience, it's most and and from you know the women I know. It's that they want to have sex with a woman who has a penis. And it's just that simple. They, there are men who are very into women, but the actual vagina do, just doesn't do it for them. And men in general, and I'm generalizing here, they like cock. They like, they're looking at their own cock. They, there's, a, there's a reason why dicks in straight porn are so huge. I know lesbians yeah. who, can't, who can't masturbate to straight porn because they said there's too much cock worship. Yeah. And and that's for straight men. So I think m- the idea that a man is disgusted by a penis is a joke. That's ridiculous. Men are not disgusted by penises. Men are, they're just men who don't want to have sex with men. So you put a dick on a girl or even – I've even heard it's a mental thing. A lot of my fans say it's mental. They like me because there's a certain connection sexually that they feel that they lack with cis women. They think I want it as much as they do and I want it the same way they want it. Right. And is there and any they, truth in that? One thousand percent. Not that. Not that all women don't like sex or anything like that. Which yeah. I've, I've jokingly said in the past. I was like, well, if women like sex, no one would try to fuck me. But because um, I think women do like sex. I think a lot of women like sex differently. I think there's. I think that you know that's a scary statement to make. But I do think men and women like sex differently. And I think for me personally, I like sex the way a man likes sex. Like I. I want to, my, my husband even said like he had never been objectified before. Right. And like, you know, I'm just, I'm like, I'm going to smell your ass. Like I'm like, I'm just different. And so I, I, and that was a big attraction, you know, part of the reason he was so attracted to me was just because of, I guess, sexual honesty, which could have to do with the fact that maybe I wasn't browbeat as a child about not liking sex the way girls are in America. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's a lot of that. And, and, uh, but I, I think part of it is well, it comes down to biology. In I completely sex, agree. Yeah, I mean, in Sex of Dawn, we we quoted from an interview. I think it was on This American Life. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But there were a couple uh, situations. One was a man who had a disease where his body suddenly stopped producing testosterone completely, mm-hmm. and and he talked about just. It wasn't just that sex stopped being interesting to him. Everything stopped being interesting. There was no color. There was no flavor. There was nothing. He just didn't give a fuck about anything. Right. And and then there was um, a woman who was transitioning and she talked about how um, when she, you know, considered herself a lesbian and she was on the subway or whatever and she saw a woman who was attractive she would think like, oh, I wonder what kind of books she reads. You know, I wonder what she's into. I wonder what she's like as a person. And then she started taking the testosterone and she'd see an attractive woman on the subway and she'd just be like, I want to fuck. I want to fuck of her. Course. I want to fuck. I want to see her content. You know, just like, holy shit. This, this this was a person transitioning to be male? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See and that. She, and she said like, I had so much compassion for teenage boys after that experience. Thank you. I, I talk about this all day long and it's, it's not popular on a feminist thing because I consider myself to be a feminist. I I'm all for women's rights and I, I love women, but when certain things get lumped into male 
like, oh, that's just systemic from culture. I'm like, take some testosterone, please. Yeah. Because I, I may look like a pretty lady. I have a male gaze. <laughs> I, I check people out. I look, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sexually aggressive on some level. And it's not because I've been conditioned to think I deserve it. It's because I'm full of testosterone. And that's, I think there is a lot of validity to that. There's just validity to both arguments. But I think people really underestimate what testosterone does it it yeah. you know it it's a powerful drug i know with just i'm drunk on testosterone you know when i stop blocking it i'm like so horny and animalistic and i want to jerk off and i i just and i'm i'm more forward and i'm you know and i'm i'm looking at butts and crotches and and it's it's not because i'm of entitlement it's cause it's reaction to yeah a chemical you know i i feel like there's a, a an unexamined danger in western society which is that we are denying the the suffering of teenage boys wow you i've know? never i i've i've seriously thought this and i've never heard anyone else i've never heard anyone else talk about that yeah i'm i'm going to be writing about it in this book i i i think a lot of the misogyny that Western society and particularly American society uh, is, is cursed with comes from this, you know, you've got boys from whatever, 13 till 18, 20, whenever they, you know, the lucky ones who end up with the steady sexual relationships, those are horrible, long yeah. years of deep frustration. And it's completely predictable that a lot of those boys are going to end up hating women. You know, because they mm -hmm. spent those years wanting something so badly that they thought women were keeping from them, you know, and right. it curdles into into a lot of nastiness later. And it's I mean, yeah, and those are formative years. And yeah. so I, I so I, like I, I do think there is I don't want to erase the narrative that maybe they're, you know, because of unbalance in the way women are kind of used as objects in media. Like, I, I don't want to say that has zero effect. You know what I mean, but sure. I but I de I definitely do think agree with you that it gets completely overlooked. The idea that you go from playing with your GI Joes to all of a sudden nature starts pumping you full of an insane sex hormone, and you're just supposed to not you, you know what I mean, and you're and you're not supposed to respond or 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 have a difficult time or not masturbate, especially parents who say who try to make their kids not masturbate, which I think is um, just, just child abuse, end of sentence. Like that's, that's just really messed up and, and it'll have a horrible effect on, oh, on you. Oh God. Yeah. There's a, a guy named James Prescott who did a study of meta-analysis of uh, all the, the anthropological research that was available. Um, it's called the, there's like the anthropological database or something. It's all, everything's joined together in this one giant database. So you can do cross cultural analyses of things. And he wanted to see what the relationship was between teenage sexual uh, frustration. So he looked at societies where kids are allowed to experiment and, you know, play sexually and then societies where they aren't. And he correlated that with um, violence. And he found, wow. you know, a, a direct uh, correlation or indirect, I guess. The more freedom they had, the less violence there was across the board. That's so interesting. Yeah, I did the same thing with um, uh, mother-infant body contact. So the more breastfeeding and the more holding of infants there is, not only the mother, any adult could pick up the babies right. and stuff. Again, you know, uh, off the charts correlation.
Wow. And so then you look at our society where, you know, oh, you got a baby, put it in a crib, which is a baby cage, you know, <laughs> <laughs> let it cry itself to sleep at night. And, uh, yeah, can't, can't have sex until, you know, whatever. Crazy. Yeah. What a weird culture we live in. It is really weird. I, I've often wondered, you know, my, my apparent, I, this is all hearsay. Obviously I was a baby, but my mother had postpartum really bad with me. Uh. So I was raised, my, my sister basically raised me. I mean, uh, social services almost uh, took me away because my, my sister's 11 years older than me. So an 11 year old was taking care of a newborn baby uh, while my mother was off at work or whatever. And, uh, and so it was, it was, um, I've often wondered like if that ever had an effect on me, although I had my sister, I mean, I call my sister Mimi to this day because I kept trying to call her mommy when I was, when I was a kid, apparently. And I didn't know this either. I just thought it was a name I gave her and my sister explained it to me. And so, um, it's, yeah, I've often wondered if that had, uh, not an effect on me being trans. That's another thing. Every time I bring up something that sucks, when I was a kid, they're like, maybe that's why you're trans. And I'm like, yeah, I maybe. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Although lots of people are trans who don't have those sorts of traumas in their childhood. You know, like Jan what? Morris. She says, I just, I was just born this way. There's, you know, no, it's not a response to anything that happened. Right. I mean, I, I knew it for, I was such a weird child. It's almost like it was pre-coded in me because I was, I was, I remember being four and looking at my sister getting ready. You know, she's, if I'm four, she's 15. Um, and I'm just like, so boys get to like comb their hair and that's it. Like girls get to do like 85 things. I was like, I want to do these 85 things. Like I wanted to wear makeup and I, I don't know why I, I was so fascinated with those things because they're cultural, but yeah. Barbies and makeup, I was just so interested in, in that side of it. You know, Barbies, Barbies are fascinating. I, they are. <laughs> I read when I was living in New York in the 80s, uh, there was an obituary in the New York Times about Jack Ryan, and it caught my attention because we share the last, same last name. So I read this obituary, and apparently Jack Ryan uh, had – he was one of the inventors of the Barbie doll. Okay. All right. Now, Jack Ryan, before he went to work for, I don't know, Hasbro or Mattel or whatever that company was that made the Barbie doll – now, this is 20 years on that I'm remembering this, so I might get some details wrong. But what I remember is that he uh, he was an engineer who helped design the guidance system for the Minuteman missile. Wow. Okay. So he's like, you know, designing guidance systems for intercontinental missiles. He quits that job at Raytheon, and then uh, his, his friends owned this toy company, so he went to the toy company. Now, Jack Ryan was really into strippers. And okay. so he hung out in a lot of strip clubs and he designed this Barbie doll based upon his favorite stripper, which is why the proportions are all weird. Okay. Yeah, and, they are really bizarre. And the doll was uh, initially marketed as uh, a thing for truck drivers to put on the dashboard on no their way. long drives. It wasn't for little girls at all. It was for truck drivers. She is really hypersexual. I mean, she walks. Exactly. She walks on her tiptoes for Christ's sake. <laughs> exactly. So that's why it's so hypersexualized. And then the little girls got it, and they're like, "Oh, daddy, I went to stall, right?" And so it sort of became this thing for little girls. But it was initially marketed almost like as a sex toy for long distance truck drivers. That's hilarious. Yeah. I had no idea. Very strange. Very. St I love stuff like that. How. 
you know, it, ex- it, it exposes this sort of underlying energy in the culture, you know, just weird shit like that. Or like another one that I always think of, I want to use this in a book at some point, um, you know, blackface, the, the, in the twenties, there was this whole thing with the Jewish musicians had to paint their faces black. Uh, I mean, I mean right. Like, right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the cliche with the shoe polish. Right. 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 So the reason they did that was that everyone knew that the black musicians were the best in jazz, right? The best jazz musicians were black, but the laws didn't allow black performers on stage in these clubs. So the Jewish performers, mainly Jewish or white performers would paint their faces black, you know, that sort of gave them some cachet and they pretend to be black, right? Then they relaxed the laws a little bit and they would allow one black person to be in the band. But the condition was... That he had to paint his face black too. What? <laughs> yeah. So you got a black guy on stage with black paint on his face. Okay. He's well, forced I mean, to pretend to be what he actually is. What the fuck is that? And that's got to be a metaphor for something, right? Seriously, that's deep. That's like inception. <laughs> it's like inception. Yeah, exactly. That's- it's so meta. It, yeah. yeah, that's really well. And I mean, and that's like the roots of drag, which come from. Like the, I, I always heard the the is an acronym drag for you know drag queens, uh, that was dressed dressed as girl because that's what they would put like in old uh, like old timey really? plays. Well, because women weren't allowed to be in plays, oh, only men were, and men would play the parts of the women. And one sense. of the, yeah, I, I don't know how true that is. I've just heard drag queens say this before, so take it for what it's worth. Old old <laughs> croaky drag queens told me this <laughs> that that it was an acronym for dressed as girl, just to clarify that this was a man dressed as a woman playing a woman's part in a play. Uh, well, I know yeah. certainly in in Shakespeare, they the the boys, teenage boys, play all the female parts. Okay, yeah, look, yeah. that makes that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, drag. Have you been to Spain? I I get invited all the time and I've never been to Spain. Oh, uh, you should definitely go to Spain. Spain, I love. I've lived in Spain twenty three years or something. It's my, oh, wow. my home generally. But uh, it, Spain, the whole drag thing is different. It's it's not associated with any sort of uh, homosexuality or it's it's just a performance. You know, it's like right, being a clown right. or a mime or something. It's it's That's not very. That's very much how I've always viewed drag personally was, I mean, there's some who want to look pretty and want to look like, you know, they want to look pretty, but I like broke, I like the performance art element of it. Like I, I like that it's holding up a mirror to society and shattering identity. And I find it to be very, like, I think RuPaul is like a modern day shaman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're right in so many levels because of this moving between worlds, you know, anyone like you, you've done this as well. You're capable of moving between worlds and, you know, seeing how people treat you as a woman and, you, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, you're right about you, shamanism. Have you ever, you get met, a super, sorry, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go. I was just gonna say it, it, it is a superpower. It really, it, you get this special, like when I give relationship advice, people, I'm like this guru and I don't even mean to be, I'm just like, I just, I, I get this very special perspective on how genders relate to each other. I, I get, I get a really unique seat yeah. in that. What's well, true. You you know what it's like to be treated as a woman, and you know what it feels like to be a man. To be well, to be raised a boy more so, but yeah, yeah. definitely. I yeah. I know what that expectation is like. I know what it's like to fail those expectations hard, right. like when you're a kid. Right. Yeah. No. I I think that experience of having the testosterone and just knowing how drunk you can get on that is is 
invaluable for women. I, I wish, and I can also understand what you were saying earlier about uh, men being attracted to a woman who experiences sex the way they do. Well, right, well, I think men are obsessed with proof that women are enjoying sex. That's why they love squirt porn so much because it's like a physical manifestation that they're actually enjoying it. Right. And yeah. so the idea of a, a woman with an erection, I'm not faking, I can't fake an erection. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess if I took Viagra, but still I, my head's got to be in the game to have one. So it, it's like, it's like this physical proof. And men, I think men are so visual sexually that it's just like, oh wow, she wants, she wants the D <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 Strange that we live in a society where that's so that's, that's doubting that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very American too. I have to say my wife's from Africa and you know, when we were writing sex at dawn, I remember quoting something to her um, that I'd read some study that said 40% of women, you know, rarely or never have orgasm uh, from intercourse. And I said to Mm -hmm. her, does that sound right to you? And she said, uh, that sounds like white American women to me. Yeah. And I say, yeah, that's the way it sounds to me too. Cause you know, in Africa, Brazil, whatever, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, information pumped out about sexuality that's generalized to humans in general, but it's really about Americans and American oh, totally. college students. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into weird racial stuff here, but there it's American culture is very bad for sex. I completely agree. I mean, as, as a sex worker where people, you know, like I'm supposed to do an interview about something and they're like, Oh, you do porn. We don't want you on. And I'm like, imagine if you said, we don't want you on because you're transgender. (laughs) Like that would have been like, you know what I mean? Or, or not, not because I don't, I don't want to equate it to, to being black or being a different race, but I was, so I'll, I'll equate it to being transgender, but it's like sex work is the last acceptable prejudice especially if you're a woman more so I don't, I don't see them telling men like, Oh, you do porn. You can't do this. Um, but the only way I'm going to get on a mainstream show other than a comedy show is, um, if I'm repentant, if I'm crying, if I'm telling if, and, and the reality is, and, and I used to think I used to almost be repentant because I thought that was my only option. I was operating within what I thought I was allowed to do, but, um, I'm not repentant. I'm actually very comfortable doing sex work and I've never seen, no one ever asks a male porn star, why did you decide to do this? Because it's understood why he decided to do it. Right. But with a woman, it's like, why on earth would you do this? It's like, because I want dicks in my holes. Like, I just, it's yeah. I, it's almost like there's, people can't imagine why a woman would want to have sex. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible. Uh, speaking of uh, giving sex advice, have you met uh, Dan Savage? Uh, no, but we wrote, we, we co-wrote a little thing for uh, Savage Love Together. Oh, good. Good. You'll, you'll meet him sooner or later. I'm sure. He's, yeah. He's, he's great. You know, I've he used him. to be a, a drag queen. Really? I did not know that. I didn't know that either until I was staying at his house. Um, he and Terry very uh, generously invited me to stay with them. When sex at dawn first came out, I was on a book tour. And when I was in Seattle, they invited me to stay at their place. So uh, one morning I, I was in the kitchen, we were having breakfast and there was a photo of this, striking, uh, quite attractive, uh, large woman on the wall. And I said, uh, Oh, is that, do you have a sister? <laughs> Something. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, no, that's me. 
and uh, he was apparently really into the the drag queen thing. And he was man, he looked special. And his, I mean, he's pretty. He's so a I pretty can boy. See he is. <laughs> and uh, his name, his drag name, was Helvetica Bold. That is solid. <laughs> like the That's, font. I, I always, I always said, I oh, I love that. That's really good. Yeah. I've always, I've always said, if I had ended up being uh, a drag queen instead of a trans woman, I would have been Aisha ass. Like, like, just if you say it fast, it's like Aisha ass. Like, I'll eat your ass. <laughs> and so, and th- that was kind of the joke. Like, I'm not going to fuck you, but Aisha ass. And oh, that nice. was, and so that was. I always thought it was pretty, pretty gold. Yeah. Well, that's right up there with. Uh... I, I practice. I should do yoga. Have you ever heard of that? What? No. I, I should do. Yeah. It's... Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I should do, but don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. Getting on to your your career, you mentioned you know getting on mainstream shows and stuff. Uh, how the hell did you get on Amy Schumer's show? Well, what a lot of people don't realize is I'm friends with like all the New York City comics, like a lot yeah. of the. The major ones. I, I did Opie and Anthony, uh, and uh, I'm friends with Jim Norton. I was the co-host of the Jim Norton show for Vice. We had, like, Mike Tyson on and all these people. And uh, because Jim Norton is a raunchy comic and yeah. <laughs> part of part of, part of his shtick is he's very vocal about how he sleeps with transsexuals and, yeah. and sex workers. And so to have a transsexual sex worker really made sense to have be as kind of as Ed McTran, Ed Mc as I say. <laughs> and just, you know, and... I, I would go on there and it, I, I'm very one dimensional when I do bits like that. Like it's kind of waka, waka, waka girl with balls. Like I, you know, that's how I like to do it. Cause it's just not deep. It's not complicated. It's not political. And, um, so we had fun doing that. And then I, I did, um, I'm so long winded. I did, uh, the approval matrix with Neil Brennan for Sundance and uh, all these people have like the same writers and stuff. And, uh, I met Amy at the premiere party for that. She came up to me, said she loved me on Jim Norton, and uh, and we just had a really good exchange. And then we ended up hanging out at a children's birthday party. And because <laughs> well, we, we, somebody yeah. should have filmed that. I know we we have a mutual friend. So uh, me, her, and Colin Quinn were at a children's birthday party, and uh, she just liked me and decided and said uh, when they asked her what interviews people she wanted to line up for interviews, I was the first name out of her mouth, which yeah. felt really good to hear. That's that was great. Yeah, so her and I are are like friends. So that some people thought the interview was a little too uh, personal or or a little too irreverent, but it was a comedy show. It's someone who I really adore, and uh, I would hate to do such a raunchy, silly show and be the only person that was taken way t- like super seriously just because I'm trans. Like, yeah, I that's not. I mean, I don't. I don't quality. remember what you guys talked about, but I remember thinking you came across really great just friendly awesome. and and relaxed and like just fantastic i, I don't remember I, I don't remember anything that anyone could have complained about that it, it was just hyper political hyper liberal people who uh a, a gay man wrote a think piece about it and uh about how the questions weren't sensitive enough and uh <laughs> So it, it was dumb, yeah. but but actually, I it, it gave me it made me like the trans community a lot more because some people were annoyed with the interview, but the majority of people really came out and were like, 
this is a person who's comfortable with her body. This is a person like I thought, you know, we should all be really independent and we don't all have to act exactly the same way mm. because there's a rule in this world that a trans woman should never be asked about her genitals in an interview. And I don't sub- subscribe to that rule of thought because I like my genitals and I'm an adult and yeah. I'm consenting. So, right. right. Which sort of gets us back to where we started with this, right? Like, Here's this community that is joined by their rejection of externally imposed labels. And yeah. yet there's a frenzy that everyone within the community is supposed to agree to to, to some label that's being, you know, it's like, what and the fuck? Yeah. And it's the same. It's not just in that community. It's everywhere on the left. Everywhere on the left is all these fragmented micro communities bitching at one another and you're not one of us because you're not sufficiently pure. And, you know, I mean, I, I rail against like hippie Nazis constantly. Uh, right. Right. That's why I can't be on Twitter as much because there's too much. Let's end sexism with sexism. Let's end racism with racism. Let's end. And, and there's just, there's too much, uh, just, it's like, they're trying so hard to fight these things. It's uh RuPaul said it, it's uh, animal farm. Yeah. And, and I and I see that a lot. And a lot of these super social political people make brilliant points. Sometimes the nuances and the intersectionalism is beautiful, but then it gets lost because humans are flawed, disgusting creatures who need to go to therapy <laughs> and get fucked. Yeah, yeah, just have sex and go to therapy. I've oh, that's like my my mantra. Yeah, yeah. It's too bad it's illegal to fuck your therapist because there's a one stop shop. That's true. My <laughs> I I have to have a female therapist. Because I wouldn't get anything done if I had a male therapist. Yeah. I I need to be wanted way too much. I would I wouldn't be getting to any issues. I would literally just be like, how can I make this person this man want me? <laughs> <laughs> you're dangerous. You're I'm very, dangerous. I'm I'm dangerous. a se- I'm a sexual terror. <laughs> but I I like how you've you've sort of become popular in the comedian world. Uh, which is strange because I I also have a lot of friends in the world of comedy, more in L.A. than in New York. But mm-hmm. Ari Shafir was in New York for a while, but I think he's back in L.A. now. Okay. Um, but uh, it, it's funny, like, you know, I, I, I do all these shows. I just did the comedy show or comedy uh, festival here in Portland. And every time I go to L.A., I'm on somebody's show down there. And, and it's... Uh, I think the reason you and I have both been welcomed into those worlds is that it's comics are free thinkers. Yes. Before anything else, they're free thinkers. They're not offended by anything, no matter how disgusting it is. They just want to ride it as far as possible and see if there's something funny in there. Yeah. And uh, I love that world. I love hanging out with people you don't need to worry about. You know, you can just say whatever the fuck comes into your head and, if it's funny, they'll just bounce it back. You know, it's wonderful. It's very healing. It's very, it's, it's very honest and healthy. I think that's why I love, I love comics because they're, and, and a lot of it does come from dark places and they turn it into comedy and versus not turning it into comedy, keeping it dark and screaming at people on Twitter. It's like they, they've transmuted it into something and and they do it with their own shit. You know what I mean? They're not just doing it with other people's trauma. They're doing it with their own trauma. Yeah. Yeah. That, You've probably heard the the speech that Louis C.K. gave at uh, George Carlin's funeral. Have you ever no, heard that? Oh, no. Oh God, it's it's wonderful. Um, essentially, he talks about you know how his career was going nowhere. He was playing Chinese restaurants, and he'd been doing the same material for ten years, just sort of adding a joke here and there, but basically the same material and. 
his career was plateaued and he was in his early thirties, I think. And, uh, he was driving home from some shitty gig one night and, and he was listening to George Carlin on, I think he, on Terry Gross, you know, on, uh, all things or fresh air. Right. And, right. um, and she said something about how, like, every year you do uh, you do an HBO special, and then you like start over again. Like, how that's so much work. And he said, "Look, that's the only way to to stay vital as a comic because you have to throw out everything and start over because that's the only way you dig deeper. Otherwise, you just get to some stuff that's kind of funny and you play with that, and you know, but then you're going nowhere. And the whole point of this is to dig deeper into yourself." deeper into your own dark spaces and your, you know, hangups and your weirdnesses and all that. So you have to do that. And Louis C.K. had pulled his car over and was listening to that. And he's like, fuck, my career is going nowhere. Maybe that's the problem. So he threw out everything and started over and his career took off. That's amazing. I mean, that, that's, I think, super important. I've heard musicians say the same thing where, they don't want to perform older music because I, uh, the lead singer of tool, I always forget his name. He's very intelligent. Um, even though I think a lot of dumb people like tool, <laughs> but it, it's, he's actually, I, uh, wish I, his last name is Maynard. I think I, I forget his first name, but he talked about that, that he's like, if your music isn't, if you're singing about depressing shit and it didn't help, then you're just like a glutton for punishment and you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're phony. Yeah. So he would, he would sing all this really like sad, very like teenage Delaware music. And then he would, but, but he said it like worked it like he would just move on and he's like less sad now. And so people will think he's sold out, but he's like, no, I just like, it just worked. I got over it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hear that. So what's next for you? What's where, where are you going with all this? Uh, you know what I like about you? I, mm. And I, I say this to Dan Savage too, that people like you are not, you were talking earlier about, um, you, you know, maybe like the only way you could get any mainstream recognition would be to repent, you know, mm-hmm. and, and cry and whatever. But I feel like what you're doing and, and what Dan's been doing and so many people now, you're pulling mainstream to you. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, by not compromising, you're changing the culture. And that is so cool. That is such a wonderful thing to be doing with your life. That makes me feel good because I feel like I internally compromise constantly because I'm 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 such a people pleaser by nature even though it doesn't necessarily always come across that way but I yeah I um I'm hoping to regress as far as to answer the question what am I doing next I uh, I I don't like being super public all the time it gives me I I'm just like a very anxious person so I want to just like I want to keep doing porn so that it scares the right people away like, I I don't ever want to have to be perfect or super politically correct. I never want to have to do it right and and constantly be afraid of being attacked the way American culture is really turning into with the internet. So if I stick to, I just porn, like I said, porn is my security blanket. So I want to regress. I want to just do more scenes. I want to, I want to just yeah, have more sex. <laughs> is it, what, what's it like finding people to work with? Um, that, that's fairly easy. I mean, I, I have a pretty weird porn career where I, I've been shooting home videos with my husband mostly and, uh, and people just really like it cause it's, it's really authentic. Like, I mean, we just, we whip out the camera and just hook up and on my, for my website. Um, but I do want to do more scenes with other 
guys. It's it's easy to find. A lot of times I'll find bisexual porn performers, male porn performers. I, I haven't shot with any yet, but now that I'm looking for some, there's just a lot of guys that are on the spectrum. But straight male performers who who are very mainstream, um, a lot of them like me very much, but they are, they're not going to fuck me on camera because it would be career suicide. They, I mean, they could be blacklisted because there's there it's I mean it's like the seventies in porn sometimes, except Just, for the pubic hair, right? Right, thank God. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm all for the lasering, but uh, yeah. So there's, you know, I my husband was supposed to shoot for a big porn company that I won't name, and. Uh, they, this was five years ago or six years ago. And the guy said, yeah, you can shoot for us. Just don't mention that you're married to Bailey J and don't even say her name on set. And I, I, you know, I guess because AIDS, I'm like, what? Like there's like this thing where they think trans women and, and men that do scenes with men and men that do scenes with women. There's like this, they get these like reputations for being like a liability, like, you know, or, or that they could have AIDS or something. And it's really fucked up. See, that's just another example of the hippie Nazis. People, yes. are, you know, you're in this alternative world and yet you're trying to impose all these fucking rules without understanding the whole point of being in the alternative world is that you're against all these fucking arbitrary rules. It's, it's, oh, it drives me crazy. You can tell. I'm, my, my big frustration is like I've always been like more of a hippie than, than I ever looked like. And then I get the judgmental looks from the white dudes with dreadlocks, you know, it's like, right. man, if you, you, you know, you have no idea. Uh, I, I, I feel you on, on that. It's also people that work in a, in a sex industry that aren't educated about sex. So that's, yeah. that's something that, uh, rubs me the wrong way. It's like, okay, so your industry is based on sex, but you're like not educated on like how AIDS works or, you know what I mean? Or, or the statistics of who has it or who's at risk. And it's, it's um everything's backwards. I went to get my sperm analyzed one time because my husband and I were talking about babies for a minute when we were going crazy. And uh and they were like, Do you like men or women? And I was like, Well, I like men. And they gave me these like secret gay pornos. And they were like, We're not even supposed to have these because we're not supposed to take uh because they also do donations. And they're like, We're not supposed to take donations from men who have sex with men. Even though they, even though they test for everything, so it just, it's shitty. Uh, strange, strange world. Uh, okay, so so you're you're going back into the porn, and you're you're gonna lay low on the public front for a while. You've got eighty eight thousand Twitter followers or something. What what are they gonna do without you? Come on. I know. Well, I'm still gonna be on Twitter a little bit. I'm just pulling back, kind uh, of. I just I don't. Yeah, the mainstream stuff just. I really like doing porn. I, I feel like there's there's this narrative that I'm trying to escape porn sometimes when I do, you know, when I get an appearance like Amy Schumer, people are like, oh my God, like you're hitting the big time. You're going to not have to do porn anymore. And I'm like, I really like what I do for a living. It's very consistent. And uh, I it's it's like the only job where I didn't have to tuck my penis. <laughs> so I really, I like, I like it quite a bit. Yeah. And you're young. You've got a lot of time to become a, a spokesperson if that's what you decide to do. Right. Like, let me get ugly first. Then I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was my plan. It's working. <laughs> hey, listen, thank you so much for doing this. I know you skipped church to to, uh, to join me on this Sunday morning. I hope the Lord forgives us both. Uh, yeah, I think about that. So, yeah, this was great. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Where, where can people find out more about you? 
Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Bailey J Tweets, and um, I have uh, my podcast, The Bailey J Show, and one other. Th- oh, and I've got my porn site, ts baileyjcom where you can look at my pornography. All right, I'm sure you'll get uh, a giant surge in uh, memberships. Awesome! I hope so. <laughs> hey, thanks for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Dr. Christopher Ryan. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye bye. He said, "Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away?" I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day your body is an animal, doesn't ask for much. A little music and a soft touch. Why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chest. You wanna shut it up but give it a rest. You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time? Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say <laughs> When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day Baby, what's a big deal If you wanna be free Say what you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground